Welcome to the Women in Oxford's History podcast series. I'm Alison. I'm Olivia. And in each podcast, we explore the life of a woman who's had an impact on the city, then talk to the researcher who's been delving into her past. For more information on all the women featured in the series, please go to our website, womenofoxford.co.uk. podcast explores the life and impact of Kofawarala Adamola. She was a student at St Hugh's College between 1932 to 35 and became the first African woman to graduate from the University of Oxford. Kofo was born in 1913 in Lagos, Nigeria, where she spent her early childhood. Part of an elite Yoruba family, she describes her early years as being formed in relation to Western culture. Her great-grandfather was a minister in the Church of England, and her grandfather was educated at public school in England before being ordained. Her father was taught in Bath and later studied at Middle Temple in London, before returning to Nigeria as a barrister and solicitor. Her mother was also educated and attended a finishing school in England. Kofu describes feeling as if she lived between different cultures, She was brought up speaking both Yoruba and English. In 1924, at the age of 11, she came to England for her health and education. She was a delicate child who often suffered from malaria and was advised to go abroad to build her strength. She attended the same private girls' school as her mother, Portway in Reading, where there was a tradition of accepting West African students. There were also many English children, whom she befriended and taught about Yoruba culture. Between 1932 and 35, Kofo studied at St Hugh's College, reading a combination of humanities and social sciences. She describes feeling more homesick and out of place in Oxford than anywhere else in England. It was as though she were tossed in a sea of intellect with highly earnest students. However, she gradually became fond of her peers' incessant thirst for information, as she calls it. She suggests that she did not encounter overt racism during her time in Britain, but describes being treated as a curio or weird specimen. There were some who expressed surprise or disbelief that an African woman such as herself would be educated. A white student who was at St Hugh's College at the same time recalls racism among the students, It is possible that Kofo screened herself from this to some extent by socialising with international peers or those more tolerant in their outlook. She had a wide circle of friends from different cultural backgrounds and seems to have been popular with her fellow students. She describes receiving more invitations to coffee parties in her first two terms than the other first years. In time, she became an active part of Oxford's academic and social life. She was a member of a number of student groups, including the African Society, the English Literature Club, the Anthropological Society, the Labour Club, the Geographical Society and the Imperial Club. She attended meetings of the Indian Students' Union and the Oxford Union. She often wore traditional Yoruba attire to functions and used her social contacts to educate others about life in Nigeria. She recalls this as a time of fervent discussion about Nigerian politics, particularly the relationship between its people and the British government. There was an increase in organised opposition to the colonial administration in this period. 
Kofo also appreciated the opportunity to learn more about political ideologies while in Oxford. She came to believe that a scientific study of socialist principles was needed in Africa to help people mitigate the dangers of the individualistic and capitalistic attitude introduced by contact with the Western world. Kofo passed her exams despite being forbidden by doctors to read during her final year due to what they saw as a mental fragility. Nonetheless, her tutors regarded her as having an exceptional memory and the ability to undertake large amounts of work. After graduating from Oxford, Kofo wrote a short autobiography about her experiences there. It was published by Faber and Faber as part of a series of books aimed at enlightening the British public about the lives of colonial subjects. Here, she writes about her views on and experiences of cultural integration and exchange. She felt that adjustment was only possible if there was a gradual process of introducing people into a foreign country and to foreign life. She was enthusiastic about the benefits of people from different cultures mixing and expressed a wish that there could be at least two African female students in Oxford each year. She felt that intercultural encounters were an important way of improving cultural understanding and paving the way for more peaceable international relations. Following her experiences in Oxford, Kofo went on to become an important educator in Nigeria. She worked at Queen's College, Lagos, from 1936 to 1938, and then became the co-founder and principal of New Era Girls Secondary School, also in Lagos. She was committed to improving opportunities for women such as herself. In particular, she wanted to help provide African girls with the rigorous preparation the University of Oxford required, both educationally and culturally. She also played a role in women's organisations and with the Red Cross, for which she received a Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, or MBE, in the UK, and the Order of the Federal Republic, OFR, in Nigeria. She married Sir Adetekumbo Adeboyega Adamola, who would later become Nigeria's first African Chief Justice and a member of the Privy Council in the UK. He enjoyed a prominent role in international affairs, which gave Kofo opportunities for world travel. She died in 2002. Olivia and I are here today with JC Niala, who has been researching Kofo. So, JC, how do you think Kofu found the transition from Nigeria to England? Um, I think initially she would have found it difficult. Uh, she came from a close family and she was very much loved in the family context. So leaving your family is already a wrench, never mind having to translate that difference into a different cultural context as well. I think it's, it's one of those um, ironic situations where actually the climate in the UK suited her better oh, yeah, than the yeah. climate in Nigeria. She was succumbing a lot to malaria. Um, at that time, even basic things that we consider basic, like nets, were yeah, not yeah. widely used. Um, by being away, she was physically better, but then she had the psychological stress yeah. of not being surrounded by the people she loved. So in your research, you spoke about how 
Coffey's experiences in Oxford had shaped her views on race and politics, and I wondered if you could just talk a little bit more about that. Well, I think one of the things um, that she was very clear on was her own identity as a Nigerian woman. Mm -hmm. If you look at photographs of her, she wore Nigerian attire to formal events. Mm. Uh, she was very much herself in that sense within Oxford. But also it gave her a chance to link internationally with other people and get a sense of what was going on. Um, the backdrop was the Great Depression. So you had um, uprising in Nigeria, people were looking for self-determination, but at the same time, the UK were very interested um, as colonial masters to keep Nigeria as a colony because mm. they needed the mineral wealth that was coming out of Nigeria and also it was a build-up to the Second World War. So she was um, in a position where she actually had to really examine herself, maybe more than somebody would now. Mm. She came from a country that didn't exist as yeah. that country yet, but was living in a country that effectively was running her country. Was there much of an international community at Oxford? What sort of people do you think she would have been mixing with? Well, people literally from all over the world, um, Swiss people, Chinese people. Um, there was, just as Oxford is you know, very international now, it was also the same situation then. And there was a real sense amongst all of the people who their countries were still colonies where they suddenly all were getting together and having this discussion about, you know, when are we going to be able to rule our own countries? How do you feel about the situation? What's also interesting to remember is there are some people who would have been comfortable with the colonial situation. So somebody yeah. like her, who clearly wasn't, mm -hmm. it would have been a time she would have to refine the, you know, those kind of debates and come up against maybe some opinions she had not come up against before. Does she speak about that much in her own autobiography, about the kind of difficulties she might have faced in talking to other people? I mean, the kind of prejudices they might have held? She doesn't talk about prejudice so much that she faces. She talks a lot about the prejudice that her brother faced. Her own family background is very interesting. Her mother's family came from the US. So she was, in, in the way that genetics works, she was much lighter skinned than her brother was. Um, and she felt that this made a difference to how people responded mm -hmm. to her. Um, okay. And she also felt the fact that she was a woman made mm -hmm. a difference. Mm -hmm. So she felt, uh, she described um, situations where she would take her brother to go and look for accommodation. Um, and they would see her, there might be some, you know, weariness, and then they suddenly see a black man and all of a sudden the shutters come down. So she was, um, she was aware of the, also the scales and the differences of prejudice that are faced. It's not just, mm. um, to use a terrible expression, as black and white as we think it is. <laughs> the international community at Oxford that she was mixing with. Uh, firstly, was she mixing exclusively with those or, or did she or, or was there um, a lot more groups hanging out together in the way that students might do nowadays? I think things were um, unfortunately more segregated. They did. There was more mixing and say things like the Labour Club or, or that kind of thing. She talked about being seen as a curiosity yeah. um, by some of the English households that she was invited to visit. Um, but then when I read, and I read a lot of letters um, from women who were at St. Hughes the, the same time she was there, mm -hmm. and they spoke very openly. There were some very frank white English women saying, we have a race problem. Um, and I thought it was interesting that she herself didn't name it so explicitly, mm -hmm. but people who would have been in her year, who would have been in college at the same time as her did. How did her experiences in Oxford impact her subsequent work? So she returned to Nigeria as an educator. She did. Mm -hmm. um, and that was actually always her original plan. She okay. always, 
Um, she had no intention of coming to Oxford and wanted to um, be an educator from the get-go. Her father was horrified and, and had, well, actually wanted her to be a barrister. And so the deal was, as so long as she got a degree from Oxford, then she could do whatever she wanted. <laughs> so, so having come to Oxford, though, she began to make the link between preparation um, for education and where you know where the groundwork leads you mm -hmm. and actually in terms of the discussions we have about access today it was a great insight mm -hmm. to have so she when she went back to Nigeria and was working in schools and starting schools she did it with a great impetus of preparing children not just educationally but also culturally for the experience of ending up oh, at an institution at Oxford um, and I mean I really think for somebody to have been thinking about in the 1930s is, is really quite exceptional if you look at people from any background that is different to the one that they're entering, um, there can be a tendency, especially when it comes to academic excellence, uh, to ignore all the cultural and psychological yeah. impact, thinking, well, they'll be all right because they have their focus. But I think these are women who are acknowledging that actually life is much more than about your focus mm. um, and how you can make your way can often speak to your success just yeah. as much as what you're studying. Yeah. Speaking honestly, it profoundly affected me researching her. I, I, you know, I started off thinking, oh, this is going to be really interesting. And, and I was just, mm. I was incredibly moved. For further links and background on all the episodes in the series, please go to our website, womenofoxford.co.uk. Thanks for listening. 